his name. Yes. Amen. Glory to God. All right. Well, if you can't preach after that, you probably ought to just quit. So I'm so uh, thrilled to have a special before I preach this morning. So good to see everybody, smiling faces. Um, you know, Landon, last week he spoke uh, such a great word about recalibrating ourselves to the gospel. This is what Christmas helps us do. And um, this morning, I'm just thrilled to be able to share the word. I'll tell you, I've, I feel like I'm um, a football player that's been waiting for a chance to get into the game. I just got something on my heart that's it's so exciting. I hope that the Lord will help me to give it to you the way that I caught it. I understand that. There are times when I work really hard on a sermon, and then there's other times when I just catch what God is saying. And this is kind of one of those days this morning. And I want to talk to you about Christmas. I want to talk to you about the reality that the Word was made flesh. In fact, um, this comes from the first part of the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, there really is no traditional Christmas story like the other Gospels. Um, John is different. You know, if you're new to the Bible, there's, the New Testament begins with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are called the Gospels. The word Gospel means the good news, particularly the good news about Christ. So in those Gospels, they tell the story of his birth, his life, his ministry, his message, his miracles, the resurrection, and all that. You find it in those first four books, the Gospels. The first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they are called the Synoptic Gospels. That's a theological term that may, it just means that they sync up, that those first three, they, they tell a lot of the same stories. Um, sometimes they use the very same words. And sometimes there's a little bit of a slant or a perspective given from a different writer that's telling about the same story. But then the Gospel of John is not one of the synoptic Gospels. The Gospel of John is really, they're all a powerful books, but it's, it's very interesting because in, in, the, in the Gospel of John, there's no mention of Mary, no mention of Joseph. There's no manger, no magi. And no mention of the multitude of angels singing glory to God in the highest. There's no little drummer boy. Actually, there's no little drummer boy in the other gospels either. There's no Santa um, in the gospels. And there's no Rudolph. So I'm sorry, everybody. This is not in the Bible. But we celebrate Christmas. And doesn't Carrie look festive this morning, everybody? She walked in and somebody elbowed me and said, look at that. I'm like, wow, that's my wife. She's a walking, she's a walking tinsel. How many of you love my wife? I said, Carrie, wow. She's like, well, you know, I have to work next Sunday on Christmas Eve. Thank God for nurses that work on Christmas Eve, everybody. I'm married to a nurse. I don't think nurses get enough appreciation or doctors for working on days that we all celebrate 
there are a lot of times we have to move our calendars around and we have a lot of people in the medical field in here right now and let's just appreciate them you know because we need we need them yeah okay that's enough that there, like I was saying there's no there's there's not a traditional Christmas story in John's gospel, but the story of Christmas and the purpose of Christmas, it just emanates all throughout the book. In fact, it would be good for you to understand this, that the message of Christmas is that God became flesh and dwelt among us. And the purpose the purposes of God were manifest, and the book of John is, is all about this. In fact, one, here's, a, here's a, one of the key verses to the book of John, which is this incredible revelation. It's John chapter 1, verse 14. I'll put it up on the screen for you. It says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We sang a lot about that today. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Just a couple of words about this. Um, the word was made flesh. The word is a title that was given by John to Jesus, the son of God, the eternal son of God. And John says in this verse, and we beheld his, his glory. What is, what is his glory? I want to talk to you about that. I want to talk to you about the power of the word becoming flesh. He was in the flesh. He was, a, he was God manifesting for us. God manifesting in the flesh. This is a, another theological term. It's called the incarnation. God becoming man. This is the message of Christmas and the purpose of Christmas. And it is the central theme throughout the Gospel of John. It's the central theme of all of uh, the teachings that John recorded, all of the stories that he gave us, and the miracles also have a purpose. It's very interesting, the book of John. In fact, I tell you, if, if, if you're new to the Bible and you want to really um, get into the Bible in 2024, I would encourage you just take some time, read through the gospel of John with this message in mind. And you'll see that there's this overriding point that God manifested to us in the flesh. And John's teachings and stories and miracles, they all point to that. In fact, here's another tidbit for you. When John talks about a miracle that Jesus did, he always uses one word to describe the miracles. He calls it the signs. Only in John's gospel do you see, and, this, and he did this sign, and he did this sign, and he did this sign, and he did this sign. The purpose of a sign is to reveal something, correct, everybody? So he says these are the signs that Jesus did to reveal his glory. What is his glory that John says we beheld that we saw it? His glory was this dude is not a normal man. This guy is different. This is God in the flesh. So rich, so deep. John chapter two, let me show you this. This is the first miracle that John recorded 
that Jesus performed. The other gospels do record this one. This is the miracle of turning the water into wine. And John 2, 11, he says it this way. When, what Jesus did here, this is the NIV. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed him. This is powerful, everybody. So this verse almost alone sets the entire theological purpose of which John had for writing this book is to reveal to us the incredible revelation that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Savior we sang about. And he gave us signs for us to see so that we might believe. To believe. This is the purpose of Christ's coming. Without belief, without change, without an acceptance and receptivity to the message of Christmas, we have nothing. And so John's version of the Christmas story in chapter 1 is so rich. Gosh, it's so deep. It's so powerful. It's so wonderful. So profound. There's just not enough superlatives for me to just talk about it. I mean, it's just the English language doesn't hold enough. In the, in the first 18 verses in John chapter one, I remember when I was going through Bible college and we were studying through the New Testament, it's like we just stayed there for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And I'm just telling you, I'm going to do my best in 30 minutes to teach something out of 1 John, but we, we could use a lot of 30 minutes. We could use a 30 minutes of 30 Sundays and maybe 30 years and still just be talking about the glory that was manifested in the Son, the eternal Son of God, who became flesh, dwelled among us, and redeemed us from our sin that we might be called the children of God powerful. So you remember how it starts. Let's get into it. Are y'all good? Everybody all right? All right. That's just an introduction to what I want to teach here. John chapter one. You remember how it starts? It's famous. If you've been in church for any length of time, you probably will be familiar with this. If you're just new to it, open up your ears and hear what God is saying. John one, one in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. So he has a title called the word, and John reveals to us that the word is the title and that he is a person. So sorry for the cough drop in my mouth, everybody. I want to be able to teach this without coughing too much. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3 says, all things were made through him. Everybody say him. And without, say it everybody, him was not anything made that was made. In him, say it, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. So powerful. This is John's version of Christmas. This He begins with the beginning really the beginning before the beginning. He's pointing back to the beginning that is no beginning. It is the eternal existence, the coexistence of Christ the Son, who is divine, who is God himself. It's amazing that 
and he is called the Word. I want to talk about this, but I want to keep reading. We're going to skip down to verse 10. He talks about the introduction of John the Baptist who came to share witness to the light. And then, but we come to verse 10. For the sake of time, we'll bump there. It says of Jesus, John says, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Now, I've highlighted that and underlined it. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he, the word, the eternal word of God, he gave the right to become children of God. Look at verse 13. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but who were born of God. This is powerful here, everybody. I hope you're listening with your spirit. Because Jesus came, and there were some that received through their belief, others rejected. But to those who believed, he had authority and power to create something. All right, just keep reading with me, because we'll go back to... Verse 14, which is our key verse of this Christmas message in John. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Turn to somebody and say, Merry Christmas. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. What John is saying is every time I listened to him speak, I heard his glory. Every time I saw him heal or deliver, I saw his glory. Every time we beheld him, we beheld the glory. What is the glory? The glory is that he is the eternal existent one who is God made flesh. And this is the message of the entire book of John is what the eternal God did when he stepped into our reality, became a person in the form of a servant, served us, became one of us, lived sinless, and then gave his body as a ransom for our sin, and then by the power of the Spirit was raised from the dead, and now is at the right hand of the Father with power making those who believe the children of God, giving you the right to become called sons and daughters of the Most High God. Let's keep reading. Verse 15. John bore witness about him. He's talking about John the Baptist. And he cried out, This was he who I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Verse 16. For from his fullness, from the fullness of Christ, we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. But the Father, he has made him known. 
I'm going to tell somebody Merry Christmas. This is it. This is the message of Christmas, everybody. Is that God, the eternal God, became flesh and he made God known. Let me say it this way. Jesus made flesh, made God known. Jesus made flesh, also made God knowable. This is the glory of the Christmas message. Are you excited about that? Does that thrill your heart? Then can we give him an ovation of praise, everybody? That's powerful right there. So my aim really in this message is for you to see him for who he is. It's and in seeing him that you will receive him. That you will believe as never before this message about the glory of Jesus. And that if you don't know him, that you would come to know him and find life in him. My, my aim this morning is that you would find value in him. Maybe treasure him better than you ever have before. My my, my message is that you would embrace him stronger than you ever have. That you would delight in him deeper. That you would follow him better. That, that you would display him greater to all those around who don't believe and have not received or don't know who he is. And that you would receive him and that they might find him and believe him. And so I'll give you these three truths here today of the things that really stood out to me as I caught this message from heaven to deliver to you about Christmas on this Sunday. And it has everything to do with this strange title given to Jesus called the word. What does that mean? The Greek word is the logos. Even in the Old Testament, there was high value in the Old Testament for messengers that brought the word or a word. And when God would send a message through the prophets or any messenger whatsoever, people valued that message as being holy and sacred. And so there is this connection throughout all of the Bible, Old Testament and New, that Jesus Christ is the word. And the word... Logos here, it indicates what I'm what I would say three things to me. Now it could be many other things, but I'm just teaching us today, right off the pages of the Gospel of John, and three things that I caught in my spirit. One is this title refers to revelation. Two, the title refers to authority, and three, it refers to creative power, creative power. So let's talk about this for a minute. The word brings revelation. Jesus is the word and he brought revelation. Words, think about it this way, words used accurately and truthfully are the greatest source of revelation. Words have the power 
to take something that is mysterious or unknown or hidden and deliver it from the heart of the knower to those that are, the, are living in the unknown. Words do that. And this is, I think, the top message of this title. Jesus, as we said, he made God known. God made him know, himself known through Jesus so that those that are unknowing could come into the accurate and true knowledge and they would come into that revelation through the words that Jesus was spoken. One writer was talking about how Jesus is called the word. He's not called the work. And I, it really, it, I really grasp this because, you know, uh, deeds or words or actions, they do communicate often, right? But that's not always an accurate communication. And those of you that, um, you know, are very active, I mean, those of you that have children, have you ever asked your child who did something, why did you do that? What were you doing? Some of you, maybe your boss recently just asked you that. And why did you do that? Hello, everybody. And why did you do that? Your parent has asked you, why did you do that? Because your actions are still leaving this uh, place of confusion or unknown knowledge. Are, are you with me, everybody? I want you to see this. And sometimes you have to use words to explain your actions. And God did so many works in history, but he gave a certain priority to the word because he puts high value on clarity and communication. Jesus made God knowable. He is the word because he reveals the message that God, the eternal God, the infinite God wants his finite creation to know and to understand. He was called the word. He wasn't called the thoughts. Or he wasn't, he, it was more than just the thinking. Everybody get, get this with me because there are differences between a thought and a word. Because it usually takes a word to reveal a thought. Are you following this direction here? I want you to get this. Because good communication takes more than thoughts. In fact, one of the frustrating things about being in a relationship with people is people that don't talk. Have you ever been around somebody and say, use your words, man? Come on, you can say, oh, me, if you need to. I'm just, I mean, most of the time, it's, it's, it's women frustrated with their husbands who don't use their words. It's like... Honey, talk to me. Well, I did. Remember last week we sat down and I had a conversation with you. So it's, it's, it's like, no, but I need to use, use your words now. Well, you ought to know how I feel. You ought to know what I'm thinking. Come on, anybody? Yeah, I mean, think about the father who loves his daughter but never uses the words, I love you. Think about that. Some of you in this room have gone through that, have had a mother or a father that for some reason they cannot say what they think. I don't understand it. Why are you ashamed of expressing your love for people that you love? 
why are you hesitant to communicate something that is so powerful and valuable to the hearer? Why were you hesitant to communicate, I love you? But we have people that are, have grown up or in relationship with people who don't want to communicate. They're hesitant and their thoughts are, well, they ought to just know how I feel. I married her, didn't I? I mean, I put food on the table, don't I? Why do I have to say it? I know there's a lot of people that are just kind of giggling right now. I'm sorry if we've stepped into your bedroom talk, but I'm just telling you, everybody, you've got to learn how to communicate. Jesus is the word because he takes the thoughts of God and he manifests them in a knowable way. He is the word who brings revelation. He reveals the heart and the thoughts of God to us. And if you, if you will believe, if you will receive it and believe that he is who he says he is, then he has the power and the authority to give you to the right to claim your sonship in the kingdom of God. So Jesus being called the word of God simply means that God is expressing himself with clarity and love through the son who is God made flesh. Let me give you the second thing. The title, the word on Christmas morning, I want you to see this. Not only does it bring revelation, but it indicates authority. Now, this is really important. You see, when Jesus was walking on the face of the earth and he came into a Jewish culture, they valued the authority of the Most High God above everything else. And, and, and when Jesus was walking on the planet and he was claiming to have special revelation, this is not what really disturbed the Jewish culture of that day. What they were disturbed about was when he claimed authority as though he was usurping authority over their God. And this brought them in, in, cla in clash. If you read through the Gospels with that in mind, you'll see that almost all of the clashes he had with the religious leaders was over who's in charge, who has the authority. Remember when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven to someone who had been healed, they went nuts. The Jewish leaders throw, they threw dust in the air and they started ripping their clothes and says, who gives you the right to forgive sin. So Jesus was claiming that his word had authority, the same equal authority as the Jehovah of the Old Testament. And we, in order to really receive Christ for who he is, we must fully embrace that his words are above every other person's words. His words have authority over not only everybody else's words, but our own words and our own thoughts, and our own values. His words trump them all. He is the word. He is not a message. He's not a little word. He is the word, everybody. He is the revelation, and he is the authority of the Most High God. And we acknowledge and submit to him that way. Listen, think about it this way. There is no authority in thoughts. There are no authority in feelings. There is authority in spoken words. Once the word is spoken, then there is a responsibility to the hearer 
to deal with the words that were spoken. Thoughts that were thought that are not revealed, they have no authority. But when the words are spoken, this is why everybody on this planet will come and give an account for the word that they have heard spoken regarding the Son of God. And will they submit to his authority? So words spoken have authority when they're spoken through the eternal word of God. Think about it this way. At his words, demons fled. At his words, bodies were healed. At his words, storms ceased. The wind stopped blowing when he spoke to the storm. Are you listening to me? At his words, dead were raised. Lazarus come forth. At his words, when they were spoken, they were spoken with great authority. This, would it, this is what it means when it says that he is the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God. Do you remember when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus when he was in the garden? Judas led them there, and when they came to arrest him, Jesus saw them coming, and he asked them. He prompted them. He says, who are you seeking? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. And it's very interesting to me. I'll show it to you, John 18. This is in John, by the way. I want you to see this. This is another sign, John 18, 6. So when he said to them, I am he. Now, I want you to see this. Because when we created the slide, we didn't create it the way it shows it on the scripture. And I'm not sure why we missed that team, but uh, let's work on it. The word he should be italicized. It's not italicized here. Because in the original, in the manuscripts, there, the, the answer that Jesus gave is, I am, not I am he. The English translators put in he for English grammatical reasons. All right, everybody? But Jesus, who is the word, who is God, the eternal word of God, who is the I am, when they said, we seek Jesus, and he said, I am, this is the I am God speaking. And there was this incredible release of authority and power that manifested through his words spoken, and they all fell down on the ground, and they're laying down there before God thinking, what the heck just happened? And then Jesus, I think, it's, I just find this so funny because the next verse, Jesus asked them again. I think he kind of leaned over and said, uh, now who is it that you're seeking? And I can see them getting their, shaking the dust off, and they said, this time with maybe a little bit of trepidation, Jesus the Nazarene. I'm not sure what authority you value in your life, but the number one authority that you must come under is the authority of the eternal word of God that was manifested in the Son who was God made flesh. Can you say amen to that, everybody? Let me give you the last one about the word. I said that the word brings revelation. It indicates authority. And the word possesses creative power. Now, this is so interesting to me that the word 
is connected with creation. In fact, in the creation account of Genesis, remember if you've if you remember reading it recently, when God was creating the world, he spoke and things came into existence. He spoke and this was in existence. He spoke and this came into existence. He spoke. And the Bible says that nothing was created that was created except through Jesus, who is the word. So he is the incarnate, spoken, creative word of almighty God. This is powerful. I'm telling you, it's deep, it's rich. I want 30 minutes of those 30 Sundays, but I hope that you could just grasp this in your spirit because this is the revelation of Christmas. I mean, forget about the tinsel and the sand and the presents and all of the stuff, man. This is what's powerful is God made flesh and, and this is creative power is connected to the word. In fact, in my study, I was even surprised at how much, how many times creative power was associated in the Bible with the word logos. I'm going to show you a few. Are y'all interested in this? Is everybody following me? Are you okay with this? Hebrews chapter one, verse one through three. Look at this. This is also, I guess I just get tired of saying, or you get tired of hearing me say, this is so good. This is so powerful. This is so rich. The whole Bible is. Because it is the word that is revealing to us the, the thoughts and the heart of God. And it has creative power itself. Hebrews 1, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom all, also he created the world. You see, he speaking and creation, it, it comes together. He's spoken to us by the Son. He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the authority, I added that, by the word of his power, by the authoritative word of his power, he upholds everything. This is powerful revelation we're talking about right here, everybody. He is the eternal Logos of God. He is the exact imprint of all that God is. He is God made known. And he is God who is now knowable because of what Jesus has done. And he has spoken to us through the creative power. Colossians 1.15, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Verse 17. This is amazing revelation. The word has authority, and the word has power, creative power, to bring something into being from absolutely nothing. And you might be wondering, what does this have to do with me? A lot. It has a lot to do with you. Because the glory of Christmas is that Jesus came to reveal what God thinks about you. What he feels about you. It trumps all of the negative records of actions where you're like, well, God did that and he must, this, because God let that happen, it must mean this. No, forget about all of your supposing and get into the revelation of what Jesus spoke. Because he is the authoritative word of God. All right, 
And John says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. There is life-giving, life-creating power that is existing in the Son. Everybody, can you get that? Life-creating power, it dwells within his being. That's what he does. He speaks and things come alive. He speaks and things come into existence. He speaks and light shines. He speaks and darkness flees. He speaks over your life and things come into existence. He speaks over your family and darkness flees. He speaks over those who will believe and receive him. And he gives authority and power for them to become the children of God. This is the creative, authoritative power of God. Oh, come on, everybody. This is Christmas. I got to show you some more. Stop clapping. John 1, verse 10. Let's go back. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. That can be said of him and the world today, that Jesus is active in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world discredits him, the world refuses him, the world rejects him, but he is the very, very revelation of God, and you and I, we have some choices to make. Verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him and believed in his name, there's something powerful about those connections. Believing and receiving. This is beyond a head belief, but this is a receiving that he is God made flesh. And man, there are many people in the world and many people in religious circles that reject that he is God made flesh. There are all kinds of different opinions about who Jesus was or is and the origin of him. Let me just tell you something. Everything that was created, that has been created, everything outside of him is created, but he was not created. He is the eternal, existent one, full of glory and power, and he deserves to be worshiped for that. When you truly, when you truly receive and believe then you get the right to become the children of God. Verse 14, would you look at this? I'm 13. Verse 13, look, pay, pay close attention here. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So John is already in chapter 1 talking about the creative nature of what Jesus, the word, eternal word of God, does at the point of salvation. This is called the rebirth or the new birth. Now, a lot of people reject this, not me, because it's very clear. Jesus himself said, you must be born again, born of the spirit. So he has the creative power, because he is the word who speaks things into existence, and when he says 
that if you will believe and receive, now I'm talking about full surrender. I'm not talking about, okay, I received Christmas. We're going to celebrate it. I'm talking about receiving means you fully embrace who he is and the power of who he is and you surrender your life to that revelation, then you have the power to be born again. This is amazing. This is why 1 Corinthians 5 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a, say it with me, everybody. That's the power of Christmas right there. That he has the power to make you new. To create in you a new heart. Remember David prayed for that, didn't he? Creating me a new heart, oh God. This is what being born again is all about. You once were in darkness. You once were a child of the devil. You once were a child of sin, controlled and, pow- and overpowered by darkness. But when you receive through your belief, at some point when that faith cre- brought you to the cross, there was an unseen thing done by the Spirit The creative power of the Spirit transformed you on the inside. And you now have become a new creation. You now are born again, the children of God. The old has passed away. The new has come. And you should really give him glory right now because of that, everybody. Hey, listen, can I just give you a personal testimony? I remember the day I got saved. I remember I went down to the altar in a little country Pentecostal church and I knelt my my knees down and I said, God, I surrender. I come to you in faith. Please save me from my sin. Give me a new heart. I can remember when I got up. I didn't get up really perfect, but I got up new, changed. All of the shame and sinful habits. I'm just telling you the power of it was broken. I was, I was almost 16 years old. I was so radically changed. I started calling everybody I knew. Hey, I got saved. I got saved. I called my grandparents who were deep in the Catholicism. I got saved. Grandma said, well, that's good, honey. I'm like, no, no, wait a minute. You're not seeing what I see. You're not hearing what I hear. I've been changed. I'm 63 years old, everybody. That happened when I was about 16. I'm more in love with Jesus today than I was in love with him when I was 16 years old. Hey, listen to me. I am more convinced today that Jesus is God made flesh and he dwells within me. Today, I'm more convinced of that than ever. This is the glory of loving God and knowing him is that they're new There's new grace poured out. John, he said this, that we, from his fullness, are able to receive grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace in 50 or 60 years. It's just more grace, more grace, more grace. Thank you, God, because I've needed a lot of grace through the years. There's no one like Jesus. And only his words are life-giving words. In John chapter 6, you know, Jesus and his followers were gathered together and he was confronting this half-hearted desire to love God and serve God and to acknowledge who he was. And some of you might remember this. In John chapter 6, 
he makes a statement to a big crowd of people. He says, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you don't have any part from me. And they all freaked out. Because he's giving a revelation, but they're hearing it with the flesh. He even said in that, in that narrative that it's not the flesh that matters. And what he was saying is stop listening to me in the flesh because my words are spirit and truth. You can go back and read it. It's powerful. In other words, what Jesus is saying, the Spirit is speaking to some of you, and the truth is being revealed, and you know in your knower that what I'm saying is true, and there's power in that, but there's others that can't receive it, and they can't believe it, and it says that multitudes left him because the words were too hard. Can I just say, hey, I'm your pastor. I want you to hear me. Life is hard. There are things that you just have to admit that God has allowed you to walk through that might be hard. And maybe don't measure up in your mind with a loving God. If, if God is so loving, then why would he do this? But you, you remember they all walked away, and then and Jesus said to Peter and with the others, he says, are you going to go also? And, and Peter said, Lord, where do we, where, to whom will we go? And he said, this, listen, he's, he's talking to the eternal word of God. And he says, you have the words of eternal life. In other words, he's like, we don't understand what you're talking about. It sounds so strange. We don't know what all the requirements are. But we know there's nobody like you. Nobody has words like you. None of their opinions matter. We're not going to go to running to the ones who say that you're not the Lord. We're not going to put our trust in those who say God doesn't exist. We're not going to go running to those who say that sins don't matter. We're going to stay close to your words because under the umbrella of the authority of your words, we have the revelation of all that God is, and we're going to believe and receive. We're just going to stay steady. They were rocked by some of the hard things that Jesus said. In the world, there are lots of people that reject him because they're like, well, how can he be so close-minded? How can he be so, so hard and so harsh? I'm just saying that he is God-made flesh, and he has authority. Speaking of being rocked through life's experiences, do you remember when Jesus was crucified? What happened to the original 12? Their faith was, man, it was shook. I mean, Peter starts denying him, pulls back. They all scattered. The crucifixion, it brought them to this place where, wait a minute. If he's God in the flesh, how is he being killed right now? See, it didn't, ma it didn't match their theology, their preconceived notions of, of his purpose and his ways. They were listening to actions, works, deeds. They weren't listening to words. If they would have listened to the words spoken, the revelation spoken from the word, then they would have remembered he told us this. He said that he must give up his life. And that he would be crucified. But on the third day he would be risen from the dead. He said it to them multiple times. 
but they weren't listening. And today we have people that are sitting in church that are not listening. And they, they evaluate their life and the goodness of God based on whether life works out really good or life gets really crappy. I'm sorry for saying crappy. At least it was just crappy. Are y'all hearing me today? What, what a glorious thing happened though. Because Jesus was risen from the dead. And the resurrected Christ had a, an affinity for walking through walls. In fact, in John 20, we have this incredible story of how the, the disciples were in locked rooms. And Jesus, who is risen from the dead, he just walked through the locked door and he shows up and the disciples are there. And he says to them, calm down, peace, be still, boys. And then he brought them close to himself and he said, look at my scars. And he showed them the holes in his hands and he pulled back his cloak and, and he showed them the side. And Thomas, come on, Thomas wasn't there. He was making a run to Kroger. And when he came back, they're all excited. They're like, we saw him. We saw him. He's alive. He's alive. And what did Thomas say, everybody? You guys are stupid. If you expect me to believe that that dead man has come back to life. And he said, there ain't no way I would ever be persuaded unless I put my hands in the holes, the nail holes in his hand, and I put my hand also in that big old spear wound in his side. Eight days later, by the way, Jesus was listening with a very loving and merciful ear. Somebody ought to thank God for that because Jesus has heard a bunch of stuff that you said and he listens with loving and merciful ears. Somebody say, thank God. And eight days later, Jesus walked into the room where Thomas was and he says, yo, Thomas, come here. And he said, take your hands and put them in the holes of my wrist and look at my side. And you know what Thomas did? Well, look at it. The English language doesn't really get this. But he is overwhelmed with emotion and he says to him, my Lord. And what does he say? My God. Everybody say, my God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God. And now Thomas has come full circle, but he had to see it. Let's keep reading. I love this. Because Jesus answered him and said, you have believed, Thomas, because you have seen me. Really, you, you would believe me because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. I love this. He's like, you disbelieved me in verse 27. But I want you to believe. I just find so much mercy and kindness by God. And then I want you to see that Jesus is talking about you and me. 
Come on, come on will, you, will you stand, everybody? You've seen me and you believed. You've seen that I really am risen from the dead, but more blessed are those that are coming to me in the future that they have not seen the nail holes, but they just know. Because I am the eternal word and the spirit has revealed truth to them and they have received it. Hey, keep, keep looking on the screen at verse 30, everybody. I'm, I'm sorry for going long. I just, I needed 30 minutes of 30 Sundays, but we're doing good. We passed 30 minutes a while ago, by the way. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. John says, I can't record them all in this book. But these are written, by the way, you see signs up there again? But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. If you're a Christian parent, you should take a screenshot of that or download my notes from online and you should show your, your children the purpose of and the meaning of Christmas. And that meaning of Christmas is that Jesus is God made flesh who came to dwell for us, with us and that by believing in him and receiving him we can have life that exists forever in him. Now, I don't know everybody that's in the service today, definitely not everybody that's watching online, but I do know that there are many who disbelieve. Maybe once they believed, but like Thomas, they were just racked by a disappointment and lost all hope in God. But Jesus, in his mercy, met him where he was. And like Thomas, many people come back to God. Like, in the world, there are lots of people who just don't even give the Lord a chance. He came to his own. The world was made by him, and they wouldn't receive him. You know, my, my call to action for you is to close out this strong, this year strong. If, if you've been struggling with your beliefism, maybe you've been listening to many others. Can I echo what Peter said and say, to whom else can you go? He is the creator and he brought the revelation. Receiving and believing is a full surrender. And will you bow your heads with me, everybody? There, 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 there are many of you that love the Lord. You know God, but you've not been treasuring him for who he is. Will you make a fresh surrender as you close out this year? And for those of you that have just been disappointed with life, 
and you blame God, or you've listened to others that question the authority of Jesus' words. All I'm asking you to do is listen to your spirit. I'm not speaking to your head. Jesus said, my words are spirit and truth. And so your spirit, man, inside your knower, will be saying, trust Jesus, trust Jesus, love Jesus, respond to Jesus. And I'm asking you to tap into that. And so if you're in here, and you need to fully surrender, would you just lift a hand up in the privacy of this moment? Come on, you need a full surrender to Jesus. Just lift your hands up. All right, there are hands that are going up all over. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, man. Pray. Will y'all pray this prayer with me? Will you say, God, I surrender all. Jesus, I trust you. You have the words of eternal life. I'm going to stop listening to my doubt. I'm going to stop listening to the opinions of others. I'm going to stop listening to the cravings of my flesh and my sin. I receive you. I believe you. I claim my rights. Come on, say that. I claim my rights. That through my trust, I now am a child of God. So the Lord changed me. Give me a new heart. I want to be a born-again follower of Christ. A new creation to glorify God. Come on, let it, let it just pause. Everybody, just let that reality have impact upon you. Man, some of you are closing out this year really, really strong. We want to help you. I don't have a physical card for you, but I've got that little card that you can scan. Please let us know that you responded to the Lord and you want some help. Come on, we're going to use all of the resources at Christian Life to help you become everything that you can be as a true, sincere, delivered child of God, become a follower of Jesus. God has done something in this room today. If you've got faith for that, can you give him praise? Can you give him glory, everybody? Oh, you can do better than that. Come on, he's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. All right, one last prayer. Lift your hands up if you feel inclined to. Lord, I pray over the church. I pray over the families that represent families. I pray over, Lord, the next week or two, the holidays, or, or Lord, we'll be gathering. I pray that Jesus would go on display, not in a haughty, arrogant way, but in a loving, merciful way. I pray for those that are away from God that they'll come back to them, but stir up great conversations about the Word of God and the glory of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that these people, your people, would be sent out into the mission field of their family and they, Lord, would 
testify about the goodness of God. In Jesus' name, God bless you, everybody. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Have a great week. You're dismissed.